Yeah, it's it's on you, Jeffrey. I'll just say sleuth then. The okay. fate of our podcast right. is in your hands. Keep a keep a keep a trend going through Cloudscape. Okay. All right. So sleuth is going to play any second now. And that's it. Now we are in our podcast. Uh, welcome everybody to the Trade Waiters. Yay! This yeah. is episode three, I believe, if I can count correctly. We've successfully recorded more than one session. Hooray! <laughs> We're not a one-hit wonder. We're not actually hit yet. We're in progress. Like, okay. do more than We're one not more. a wonder. <laughs> oh! <laughs> okay. Uh, today's episode is going to be 100 Demons by Linda Berry. Um, but before we talk about the book, uh, we need to do two things. First of all, we need to have a spoiler alert. Um, so this podcast is based around the idea that you have already read this book. If you have not read 100 Demons by Linda Berry, go find it and read it and uh, then come back and listen to and if you're in Vancouver, I have just donated my copy to the Vancouver Public Library, and it is available. Hooray! Yay! Um, okay, so then we're going to do our character-revealing questions, so we can introduce ourselves. So I thought this question would be appropriate for this book. Um, hopefully we will, we'll all be able to think of something quickly enough for this. But uh, the question was going to be, uh, tell us something you remember writing as a kid. Something that when you were a kid, you wrote this thing, and maybe it wasn't any good, but it's something you remember having written. Because apparently Linda Berry didn't write anything when she was a kid. What, what age range are we thinking for kid? Any? That's up to you. Okay. Okay, I'm going to start with Jeff, because Angela is trying to think of something. No, I know. I know. <laughs> oh, I know. oh, oh. Right away. Okay, Angela. Yeah, so uh, I wrote a lot when I was a little and uh, what I remember the writing the most is we did these creative writing exercises and I think I'm going to say grade three. And uh, one of the exercises that we had to do was write our own version of a children's book which was called Alligator Pie. Oh yes. And so it went Alligator Pie, Alligator Pie, if I don't get some I think I'm going to die. Uh, something, something, something. It ended with Alligator Pie. And we had to make our own version and the version that I decided to write, not sure why, was alligator liquor and went alligator liquor alligator liquor if i don't get some i think i'm gonna bicker give away my troll give away my sticker but don't give away my alligator liquor and uh that raised some concern among, <laughs> among the teachers about why i knew so much about liquor i, I believe but, <laughs> i believe it goes uh alligator liquor before uh, uh wine sicker, never yeah. sicker yeah right. <laughs> <laughs> all right so uh that was angela malik by the way you that's me yeah <laughs> sorry angela uh, malik i love alligator liquor <laughs> okay, uh, Kathleen. All right, I'm Kathleen Gross, and um, when I was in grade eight, uh, I spent, like, every day after school, I'd go home and work on this comic I was working on called The Intense Battle of the Kathleen G's, because there was another <laughs> Kathleen G in my class, and she was like, put me in one of your comics, and I was like, okay, I'm the good Kathleen, you're the bad Kathleen, oh. we fight for dominance in this, like, little epic that I was working on. Um, so, yeah, I don't, yeah. Oh. Uh, okay, so we can talk about comics we wrote. Yes. That's good. So I'm Jeff Ellis, and uh, I wrote a comic series when I was about 8 to 10 years old called Dork and Sam. Nice. And 
one of the characters was a dork, the other character was named Sam, and he wore a professor's outfit with a graduating cap for some reason, and uh, it was the total, like, cliche, odd couple, comedy type thing, and every comic was awful and embarrassing, and I hope that they never see the light of day. <laughs> fortunately, I created them before the internet. Oh yeah! Thank God! Thank yeah. God! <laughs> never let elementary school kids put stuff on the internet. They're gonna regret it later. Um, okay, so um, what, John? Your your book? What you wrote? Oh yeah! What did you? Oh write? yeah! Okay, yeah. So uh, in grade six, uh, my grade six teacher had us write uh, journals uh, every week. I think probably, uh, and she let me do my journal in comics form which was probably the first thing I ever did that might count as a comic. Uh, I didn't really understand panels because I didn't read comics yet, except for newspaper comics, so it was pretty freeform. didn't make a lot of sense. I had all these little cute characters that I had, and they went on a little adventure, uh, which really is a very loose definition of a journal uh, and a loose definition of writing. But I definitely appreciate that I was allowed to get away with this because it probably made a difference to what I now with my life. Would you say it was auto-bifictionalography? Um, no. <laughs> it had absolutely nothing to do with me in any recognizable way. <laughs> okay. Uh, oh, I guess I'm Jonathan Dalton, by the way. I don't think I introduced myself. Nope. Uh, <laughs> Amateurs. All of us. Yes, yes. We're not a wonder yet. Uh, or a hit. Um... <laughs> Okay, so uh, Kathleen, do you want to talk about today's book? Yeah, um, okay, so today's book is by Linda Berry, who is uh, one of my like must-read cartoonists. Um, I'm going to give a little bio of her, which I pulled from the back of, uh, not this book, but another one of her books, Syllabus, uh, which is her most recent book, so I felt like it was kind of the most relevant to who she is today. Linda Berry is a cartoonist, writer, and assistant professor of inter interdisciplinary creativity at the University of Wisconsin-Madison in the art department. She runs the Image Lab at the Wisconsin Institute for Discovery, a place where science, mathematics, the arts, and the humanities twist together daily like a funky double helix. So Linda Berry is a prolific American cartoonist. She's been working um, in comics since like the late 70s, early 80s, um, and she's written both comics and novels, um, a sampling of which includes uh, Ernie Poop's Comique, Girls and Boys, The Good Times Are Killing Me, Cruddy, and more recently, What It Is, Picture This, and Syllabus, Notes from an Accidental Professor. So um, the book we're reading today is 100 Demons, um, and the comics in the book originally ran online on uh, salon.com, but uh, yeah, it says on the front of the book, dude. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, they were published in print in this book form in 2002. So um, the book itself, Linda Berry calls a work of uh, autobifictionalography. Auto <laughs> um, <clears throat> and uh, she was inspired by a painting exercise called 100 Demons, um, done by a Zen monk named Hakuin Ikaku, uh, who is one of the most influential figures in Japanese Zen Buddhism, according to Wikipedia. Uh, and the book is comprised of seven of 19 contained stories, each exploring a different demon in Barry's life. Uh, for example, dancing, resilience, girlness, and dogs. 
The book ends with a demon painting tutorial by Barry and encouragements for the reader to pick up the brush and paint their own demons. Very good. Hmm. Okay. So do we want a few first impressions of this book? Yeah, roundtable sure. impressions. Yeah, obviously I'm super biased because I love this book and I picked <laughs> it and I said she's one of my like must-read cartoonists. So I'd like to hear what your reactions are because I don't think any of you have read Anything by Linda Berry? I'm not. This is not my like first Berry book. Well, I um I used to read the Linda Berry cartoons that would show up in the Georgia Strait. Oh yeah. Uh, ah, which is not the case anymore. But there was a time when the Georgia Strait was uh, was using her syndicated strips. Um, I think before they had, uh, now they're using using red meat, uh, which I don't remember the cartoonist for that. But yeah, they they switched it out. But for a while, it was Linda Berry's cartoon. That's actually where I first knew Linda Berry, and um, looking at 100 Demons, uh, I really like her in color, and I like her with collage. I think that it's a lot more impressive than the black and white strips that were in the Georgia Strait. Um, and I will totally admit, though, when I started reading this, um, when it seemed like every demon got about five to six pages, and then it was 100 Demons, I thought, oh. God, how long is this going to go on for? I don't think I have time to read all 100. You should also clarify that you were reading it digitally, so yes. you didn't have the heft of a book no, to show true. you how many pages yes, you were true. reading. It's true. I did actually, I, after like the first demon, I skipped uh, to look at the page count in the ebook to be like, oh, 230. Okay, I can handle this. I can handle this. Um, and I will say at the end of this, I actually do want to paint uh, my 100. Uh, I, I definitely seem like a fun exercise. Um, Linda Berry's led a really interesting life, and I think that some of the chapters resonated more than others with me, but um, the artwork and the presentation was really beautiful. And it's I, I, I always like um, autobio comics, especially when people really just put themselves out there and put themselves on the line, and she definitely. Okay. Uh, well, I went into this cold. Uh, I wasn't sure what to expect. Uh, I've never read anything of hers before. Uh, didn't do a lot of research ahead of time. Uh, and so when I started reading it, I wasn't, uh, I wasn't sure that I would like it, but I really did. Um, I think I was kind of turned off by the, the sort of late underground style, uh, because a lot of underground comics um, seem to not be about very much, but this was definitely... Like, this was, there was a lot going on here. Yeah, of the sort of, uh, my limited understanding of the underground comics at the time, her work is sort of some of the only ones that I actually like and find holds up over time. Okay. I don't know. But that's just me. I have seen other comics of, of that sort of school, if you can call it that, that I also really like. But uh, they're not, they're sort of the exception, at least in my opinion. But this is definitely one of the exceptions, because this is so good. Um... It, the first few chapters kind of didn't, it wasn't clear where they were going. It was, took a bit to get into it, but I think that was intentional. I think you're just sort of thrown into the life of this child and expected to figure it out as you go, much like being a child. I think that uh, is actually really, uh, a really interesting way to write a story where you're not even told the setting until the very last chapter. Uh, about halfway through, I was trying to figure out, okay, where is this? Is, is, is this Hawaii? Is it San Francisco? Like at the very end, it's like, oh, okay, this is probably Seattle, but there's no, there's no clue. You don't know 
Uh, her family is obviously mixed race of some kind, but it's never explained. Um, and it's, it's much like if you're a child in this position, you, this is just your world. You have to, you don't see it as any other way. And it's only when you're older that you have to look back and look at it from other people's point of view and say, oh, this might actually require an explanation if you're not me. So that was really good. And there are so many episodes that are so emotional and deep and complicated. And uh, it was really good. Okay. There may have been tears. Aww. Yes. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Kathleen's got a vial of John. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> yeah, so similar to you, John, I came into this completely cold. I've had no introduction to Linda Berry's work. Uh, similarly, I've I've not I I don't usually resonate with uh, underground comics, so I think you and I have a the same kind of thing. And the first I also felt it was a little bit difficult for me to wade into it because of that, you know, I have no idea, I'm going in blind. There's a lot of affectations in her style, like the collage really drew me in, like I really resonated with it, but some of her other affectations actually slowed me down. Like some of uh, her tendency to just switch between block text and cursive mm -hmm. in her narration, and she doesn't do it for emphasis. She just does it kind of randomly. I was looking to see whether it was for mm -hmm. emphasis or not. Mm -hmm. There's an awful lot of text, too. Yeah, and it, in a way, which I don't mind reading, but the fact that that slowed me down in my reading and uh in a way that i think might have been intentional like but uh i liken it to driving down a road with speed bumps so yes if you're driving down a road with speed bumps you're going to enjoy the scenery more you're going to take your time and really absorb this but you're going to be annoyed as hell at all these speed bumps <laughs> and that's kind of how i felt with that affectation but uh, the rest of her style i thought lent itself really well to the work uh the simplicity of the art contrasted with the complexity of the narrative and what was happening around her, I thought worked really well to it. So by the end of the book, it would won me over. Mm -hmm. And my second read, I enjoyed a lot more. Now that I kind of knew overall the framework that was going into it, I was able to approach it with a lot more depth. And I think there, there really is a lot happening in this book. And it is really fascinating and really uh, poignant. It's poignant in a way that I think uh, a lot of people reflect on their childhood. Perhaps, maybe, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Depends on your childhood, perhaps. I also read this book twice to prep for this podcast, and obviously I'd read it before, um, but I read it in two different ways when I was reading it for this podcast. The first time I read it in sort of short bursts during my lunch break at work, um, and sort of just got to sample each story in the book on its own as like mm -hmm. a tasty little morsel. Um, and then I also sat down and just read it in one sitting uh, the other night just to make sure it was fresh in my mind to talk about it today. And... I love this book, but I think it's, like, slightly more enjoyable reading it in short bursts. Like, just sampling each story and letting it sort of resonate and, like, thinking about how it relates to my own life and what it's evoking for me. Um, but that was just something I sort of discovered as I was rereading it, was just how I was reading it sort of um, influenced uh, just the affect, I guess, of it. Yeah, this book opens with one of my favorite questions, which... Maybe it's just favorite to me because I think about it a lot in relation to my own work, but I really like that she opens it with the question, is it autobiography if parts of it are not true? Is it fiction if parts of it are? Yeah, that was pretty profound. I haven't written a lot of uh, autobio, but the few attempts I've tried to do, to do that, that's like the number one thing in my head is like, how much, like how truthful do I need to be for this to still be 
what I'm claiming it is. Oh no, this is like you all do more, way more auto bio stuff than I do. Yeah, this yeah. is this is my approach to comics, pretty much. Auto bio where parts are not true. <laughs> and for me, sometimes fiction where it's like extremely true, mm. but it's mm. in ways easier to couch the truth in fiction than to yeah, yeah. outright say, no, this is my reality. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, I definitely resonate with that. I think that my works of fiction are more true than my autobio, and I, mm-hmm. I've made my living practically <laughs> with autobio. And uh, this work actually gave me a lot of pause and uh, made me think about you and I, Kathleen, we both do autobio and Jackie as well, uh, why we write autobio. And in this work, uh, perhaps the focus of this work on its own for Linda Berry, it seemed to be like she was exercising these demons from her youth. You know, these things that had weighed on her, and she was using autobio as a way to, you know, hmm, I don't want to say cleanse it from her, but at least process. process. Mm-hmm. Yeah, as a way for her to process these things that have happened to her. And it's it really struck me how vivid her childhood memories were. Like, mm-hmm. some of the texture and detail that you put into the description and the narration really anchored you in the past. And it's, she said that, uh, she mentioned at one point that some people had told her that they don't remember their childhoods, and I am definitely in that camp. Yeah, yeah, me too. So it's it's really interesting to see this much detail and texture, and for me it's just life, <laughs> you know? <laughs> and so one of the reasons that I do autobio is to help myself remember. Because my memory is so bad that if I don't codify it in comics, I almost, I need that tangible aspect of like, yes, this actually did happen, <laughs> or it'll just like disappear. <laughs> Do you, do you think she remembered it all, or do you think that there's that aspect of that quote where she's going back, she's remembering some of the bits and pieces, and then sort of informing those details afterwards in a fictional way? Like, that it's plausible, but it's just, well, it was in Seattle back then, it would have been like this, so, mm-hmm. you know, like, maybe some of it is a little bit fictional, or maybe some of this is even just, like, fictional, but then unintentionally correct, where sort of hits that right mark. I mean, I didn't grow up in a mixed-race, low-income family in Seattle, but there's definitely aspects of her childhood that I totally uh, resonated with. Like, there's shared you know, childhood experiences that we all sort of have that yeah, we like can connect with. The playing out on the street late at night, or, yeah. like, during the day waiting for, like, the other kids on the street to wake up and come out and play, like, I was like, yes, that is very true yeah. to my own experience. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> street hockey in Alberta. Yeah. <laughs> For me, it was the scene of like uh, growing a little bit older, moving into the basement, and music becoming really important to you, mm-hmm. and sitting in the dark and listening to music. That part really resonated with me. And uh, a lot of the other family dynamic stuff I felt hit pretty hard. Yeah. It was interesting. And as you said, John, um, which I thought was a really keen observation, how the world is confusing to someone who is young. Mm-hmm. And like you said, Jeff, is it true because she's remembering and filling in these blanks? It's really hard to have a concrete memory when you only understand half of what's going on. And so certainly retrospectively trying to fill in those blanks makes it kind of an abstract portrait of the truth. But it's still still her impression of her own truth. Yeah, it feels very real. There's there's clearly more truth than fiction. Yeah, I also don't personally feel like whether or not it's true is is important to mm-hmm. how the work is received, because these are really, like, like we've all felt really, like, Im- moved by these these stories, and, like, it's impactful work, so 
for me personally, whether or not it's true doesn't matter mm. because it reads as a good story and it reads, uh, it resonates with my own truth. And I don't know, I'm personally like super interested in like the construction of truth in autobiographical comics and how like truth is not objective. Truth is subjective, especially when you're constructing a comic because it's filtered through your own um, codification of the world around you and how to fit a what has happened an event into a enjoyable reading experience. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I think like the process of remembering events in your life is basically constructing a story. Yeah. And what you remember is the story that you tell yourself. And I think most people go into that process with the expectation that they're telling themselves the truth, but it's you're, you're building a story and there's an inherent um, simplification, I guess, mm -hmm. of when, when that happens. Mm -hmm. um, there was uh, a couple, just another quote that I pulled that I felt sort of like encapsulated to me, at least what these stories were and like what sort of brought them all together was um, on page 36 uh, uh, in um, Lost Worlds, uh, she asks, who knows which moments make us who we are? Some of them, all of them, the ones we never really thought of as anything special. And I felt like that sort of summed up the book. To me, because there are these moments that sort of create this idea of the character of Linda Berry, but they're sort of subtle and like experiential that you wouldn't necessarily tell someone about. Um, but you get like this really complete or, you know, fairly complete sense of like who maybe she is. Yeah. And it could be some of the things like that from an external observer might be the most quote unquote important. For example, she only in the narration, like one moment of the narration, does she mention her dad and her parents' divorce? And mm -hmm. to an outside observer, you would think that that would be a fairly dramatic and important part of her life, a demon that she would want to exercise. But instead, she focuses on these more subtle and experiential movements and, or moments. And uh, certainly, I think back on myself and how I dwell on these, you know, social missteps that happened 10, 20 years ago, and yet for some reason still weigh on me really heavily. Well, yeah, there was, there was another moment where she was talking about her friend who was two years younger than her. And when she went to uh, middle school, she sort of stopped talking to her friend and just didn't, like, she basically walked away from the friendship without bothering to tell the other girl. Mm -hmm. And the fact that this still bothers her, like, 30 years later or whatever it is, um, yeah, 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 that's that's a thing that happens for sure. Oh, yeah, that was, I think, one of my favorite stories uh with that that particular one because mm. i've been on both sides of that equation i've had uh times in my life where my friends matured past me and 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 left me and i've had friends that i felt i outgrew and and left them and i do think about that i do think about uh those times when i made a conscious decision to to, to just stop associating with certain people and and now later on, I look back and I think, oh, that's so shitty. Uh, <laughs> if, if if you wonder why I stopped talking to you, I'm really sorry. Uh, you can look me up on Facebook. We can talk about it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> can we talk a little bit more about the visuals in sure. the book? Like we've sort of talked a little bit about how there's like a collage element to it, but mm -hmm. um, like. I feel like it's also worth noting that portions of this are drawn on legal paper. Mm -hmm. um, like yellow legal paper um, is the sort of base paper for the intro and the outro to the book, 
which I think is a really interesting decision. And I have my own sort of understanding as to why she did that, but, like, what do you guys think about that choice? Yeah, um, like, when I first saw that this is what she was doing, I thought, oh, this is part of the sort of the 80s underground movement. She's trying to make her art intentionally ugly just to fit in with a certain understanding of what art should be. But no, there's, like, this fits the book so well because uh, she comes from this low-income setting where she had no opportunity to to write um, when she was a child and had trouble picking that up later because of various socioeconomic slash educational things. And it, it fits with that. This is like cheap materials that are on hand. Like I can see this fitting with someone who has this incredible need to tell a story but doesn't necessarily have the quote-unquote right tools. And whether or not she has access to those tools now is kind of not, not the point. For this story, this is, this is the right tool. I, I think that this ties in really well with the last chapter, The Lost and Found, where she's talking about pulling stories out of the classified ads. And that was sort of her first attempt at writing. And then it sort of leads into her talking about her interactions uh, with, you know, after she's much older, dealing with people that have studied literature and creative writing and trying to have these uh, intelligent conversations where she just doesn't have that same background. Uh, mm -hmm. and she's not coming at it with that same knowledge base. And then we go from that right into her tutorial on uh, doing the Hundred Demons and how easy it is, right? She's, she's, she's accentuating just how affordable the tools are, how accessible the tools are, that you can just um, you know, mix your ink and then start using a legal pad and make this art happen. And I think that there's a real theme at the end about you know, uh, comics are for everyone and anyone can do this. Anyone can express themselves in this, in this media and you don't need uh, a, a crystal pad the same way you don't need to have spent you know, uh, three years studying English literature to tell a story in, in this, this kind of medium. Yeah, I think that's a really good point, especially putting that tutorial in the book, that you don't, you could learn this in a class, but you're not going to a class, you have this book. So this is where she's conveying this information. Yeah, I have the same interpretation, Jeff. I feel like writing it on a legal pad is taking the quote-unquote low art mantle and really owning it, really putting it in your face. It's like, this is a comic that is important, even if it's drawn on the cheapest paper available. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, I resonated a lot with that comics are for everyone. And going back to this question of why do we write autobio? And it's because no one else would bother to tell our stories, you know? Mm -hmm. And so being able to pick something up like comics as a medium and really be able to tell your story in as vivid a manner as Lindaberry can. Yeah, because um, I I've, I was, um, once I finished 100 Demons, I was just curious as to, like, uh, her recent work. So I read Syllabus, um, which is her syllabus and also notes on being a professor um, at the places that she teaches and sort of talking about her method of teaching um, art because she was teaching this course that was listed as both an arts, a humanities, and a science course. It was cross-listed and all those different things. So some people came into it thinking it was going to be a science course. Some people came into it thinking it was going to be like a creative writing course. Some people came into it thinking it was a writing course. But she's 
at least my understanding of what she's trying to do with comics and with her teaching is like sort of like you guys said, like take away the, the preciousness of the materials and really um, encourage everyone to try and not worry about whether it's like good or bad, but to get into like the feeling of creation and what it does for you. Um, and like, I love the DIY aesthetic of this book and like the encouragement of the author telling the reader, like, it's not a big deal. Like you can do it too. Like, just give it a try, pick up those materials. You don't need anything fancy. Um, is really encouraging. And like, I read this um, when I was quite a bit younger, and I found it really encouraging and has definitely been like a formative work for me to like move on and continue creating comics. Yeah, it's, um, yeah, it, it's, it's really interesting looking at this too, because like, I, I come from a graphic design background, and she's just breaking all the rules, right? <laughs> breaking all the layout rules, all the typographic rules. And like she's doing all the things that I tell my students that you know I teach graphic design and she's doing all the things that I tell my students not to do, but every once in a while I get a student who breaks those rules in a way that works and well what you told me not to do that but you, you told this person their project was great and I'm like well they just worked and this would be one of those things where like she's breaking those rules but it just works like and it's the the feelings come out of it the there's like the yeah, like kind of the, the colors and, and the emotion, like it, it sort of resonates on a different level, on a, like a more primal level um, than if it was this really slick you know, graphic design piece. And it wouldn't work as a slick graphic design piece. You it would know? almost feel artificial, don't you think? Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Um, in her book, uh, What It Is, which is sort of like a writing guide, it's like half memoir talking about her memories of being like a kid and like the process of learning to write, as well as like a workbook for people to do exercises and like start to write and do creative writing. And the whole first chunk of the book is like these pages of collages and questions to like consider. So she sort of takes this aesthetic and pushes it even further mm -hmm. with um, her next work. And it's really, it's really interesting. I don't know. I, I think if you enjoyed this book, definitely pick up more of her work. Uh, Cause it's, it's really cool. Well, I definitely would say, um, from my impressions when I was much younger, reading her uh, comics in the Georgia Strait, uh, like this is definitely a real step up and definitely uh, makes me want to look up her work more. Uh, I, I would admit when I when she was being featured in the Georgia Strait, I was kind of like, oh, why can't I get better cartoonists in the Georgia Strait? Um, but you know, now that I've read this, I, I regret that statement. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so uh, I think we are just about out of time anyway, so we should wrap up our... Is there anything, is there anything else anyone wants to talk about with this book? Uh, would you recommend it? Uh, yes, I would recommend it. I'm not sure I would recommend it for everybody. Mm -hmm. um, it can be... I would recommend it to comics fans. If you're not a comics fan, don't start with this one. Maybe. I would agree. I would recommend it to people who want to learn more about the underground movement, maybe, and similarly to us, Maybe we're turned off by that style. I think this is a fantastic uh, introduction to that generation. I don't know. I'd recommend it to <laughs> most people. I don't know. <laughs> uh, <laughs> like, coincidentally, while I was reading 100 Demons, my mom was reading her um, novel, Cruddy. Uh, so, yeah, I don't know. I'd recommend this book to pretty much anyone. I, I, would, uh, I would say if you're interested in something different, uh, not wanting to read, like, 
superhero comics, you want to get a sting comic that's new and different, uh, I would recommend it. And I think, especially just on the note we were on earlier, if you're at all interested in creating some art, if you're sitting on the fence and you're not sure if you want to start your own comic, uh, read this book. and Maybe by the end of it you will pull out a brush and draw your hundred demons and find that you actually now have a comic done at the end of it. So I would, I would say if you're, if you're sitting on the fence about starting your comic project, read Hundred Demons by Linda Berry. Good point. Mm -hmm. uh, I just want to add, I was a little disappointed there weren't a hundred. <laughs> <laughs> I was I was expecting a hundred of these, but it no, we only so got twenty. It was so emphasized on the cover. <laughs> it's got an exclamation mark. It's got three <laughs> exclamation I, marks. I was relieved. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, okay. I would uh, definitely read a hundred of Linda Berry's demons, though. <laughs> definitely. Maybe not all in one sitting. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I'd go one a day for a hundred days. Okay. Okay. All right. We should uh, say thank you to uh, the author. So thank you to Linda Berry for writing such a good book. Yes. Um, and we've already said it's available in the Vancouver Public Library, or will be soon since... Um, it, it already is available. Oh, wow. I just gave them an additional copy. Oh, okay. Yeah, That's because cool. I had to put it on hold, and it would have come through in time, but Amazon... Sorry, <laughs> PPL. But I downloaded the copy that I got from Amazon back to the library. So certainly okay. that's Carmen neutral. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So uh, the thing that I'm not waiting for is Epic Canadiana number two. It's currently on Kickstarter. Uh, it will still be on Kickstarter, but by the time this podcast is released, it is a superhero anthology put together by Cloudscape. I don't have a story in it, but everything I've seen so far looks pretty good. I have a pinup in it. So. Oh, okay. Nice. Rude. It looks pretty good. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> My mainstream shout-out this week is for X-1999 by Clamp, which is a much older comic, but I picked it up in a, a mega-volume digital uh, because I was really into it in high school, and I wanted to say, why did I really like this? And it's super grimdark and <laughs> really kind of over-the-top, but it's very visually poetic, and I'm so into it. Um, my, uh, thing that I did not wait for the trade for is, uh, I was recently rereading my floppies of Gerard Way, Becky Cloonan, and Sean Simon's Killjoys, uh, miniseries, um, which is very interesting, especially if you, uh, read it in conjunction with the My Chemical Romance concept album, Danger Days, True Lives of Fabulous Killjoys. <laughs> uh, my, uh, my mainstream shout-out is, uh, X-Men 92. I've been each issue as it's come out on my iPad. It is a salute to the X-Men comics of the year 1992. It's very and specific. It's, it's tied in with a very convoluted Marvel crossover where different eras of the Marvel Universe exist in their own country that border each other on a battle world. And that's kind of ridiculous, but um, X-Men 92, if you grew up watching the Saturday morning cartoons, uh, this is a great book if you like those. Okay. I'll talk about that way too long. All right. Uh, I'm Jonathan Dalton. You can find my work at lostcitycomics.com. I'm Angela Mellick. You can find my work at wastedtalent.ca. I'm Kathleen Gross, and you can find my work at cagcomics.tumblr.com, which is K-A-G-C-O-M-I-X. I'm Jeff Ellis. You can find my work at jeff-ellis.ca, and Volume 1 of Teach English in Japan is now on sale on Comicsology for $1. Ooh. Ooh. And next episode's book will be... A Broken Telephone by Ryan.
and company. Okay. And various okay. accomplices. Uh, all right. Uh, the Trade Waiters is presented by Cloudscape Comics. We'd like to thank the Vancouver Public Library for letting us record in their Inspiration Lab and Sleuth for the music. You can find us at www.cloudscapecomics.com. <laughs> <laughs>